0: You ought to be the most annoying people at work or school tomorrow. Because when you show up and you got a smile on your face, a country mile wide, and folks said, Don't you know it's Monday? You ought to say, Don't you know where I'm going? I'm going to heaven. To that old country church, be reunited with lost loved ones, and to see the name that is above every name for the first time. Man. That don't make you have a good Monday, nothing will, amen? Amen. So turn with me to Luke chapter 9 as we continue to worship this morning through the written word. The title of this morning's message is True Greatness, Luke chapter 9 will be in verse 46 to 50. If you spend any time in America, the conversation will quickly or inevitably turn to a discussion on greatness. Who's the greatest quarterback, amen. greatest running back, greatest <laughs> wide receiver, got folks hollering out answers already, <laughs> the greatest coach, I hope soon it will be Jeremy Pruitt, amen.
1: <laughs>
0: not just football, greatest baseball, basketball player, boxer, not just sports, who's the greatest actor, actress, movie, author, <laughs> president, general, inventor, on and on. We are so obsessed with greatness in America, we even have an acronym for it. GOAT. Any of you know that? Greatest of all time. time. And you say, well, yeah, but that's that's not Christians. They don't get in on that kind of action and those kind of discussions, right? (laughs) Wrong. Post in Tipton County Buzz, asking for recommendations on the church, and you'll see just how much people think church they go to is the greatest go to any christian conference or convention and private conversations will turn to who's the risers and fallers and the up and comers google greatest christians of all time goat and you will get 59.3 million hits here's some of them most influential christians of all time the 10 most influential christian leaders of all time 40 greatest theologians throughout history, 10 most influential Christians of the 20th century, and that's page one. You say, well, those are secular sites. Those aren't Christian sites. Christianity's five most important theologians, the Gospel Coalition, 10 great Christian biographies, albertmohler.com, 25 most influential preachers of our time, SermonCentral.com, and that's page one. So when Jesus comes to his disciples and asks, What were y'all discussing on the way? Does it come as any shocker to us, their response? Who is the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? What is shocking is Jesus' teaching that follows what constitutes true greatness. And their inappropriate attitude and actions then have much to teach us today because I believe that a lot of Christians and a lot of churches simply do not believe Jesus' words. So as we seek to understand true greatness as Jesus defined it, we're going to examine a debate, a demonstration, and a declaration. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 9, verse 46 to 50. Luke writes, "...an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side, and said to them, "...whoever receives this child in my name receives me." And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. The word of God to the people of God preached in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you as we say that we can hold a copy of your word in our hands thank you that we can gather together freely father without the threat of violence or end of our life we pray for the many brothers and sisters of ours across the world today who are experiencing persecution we just pray for them to stay solid in their faith father we thank you for Jesus oh what a beautiful name that means everything to this old boy and to each and every one of us in here father I pray as we preach your word today that I would decrease and you would increase through me and speak to your people truth that they can take and apply to their life, Father, that we can truly understand what true greatness is as your Son defined it. For it's in his wonderful and precious name I pray. Amen. So first I want us to look at a debate. Luke tells us very simply and plainly, In verse 46, that an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. That Greek word argument has a root word that means to reckon thoroughly. It can mean a discussion, a dispute, a debate, or really hear what in context was an argument. And so consider with me a couple of things. First, the context. So turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark fills in a little more of the blank spaces than Luke does here but if you'll remember quickly from the last time I preached and last week when Jimmy preached Jesus took up on the Mount of Transfiguration Peter, John and James he transfigured before them they got to see Moses and Elijah they got to hear the voice of God and the four come down from the mountain and Jesus charges them to tell no one look at verse 9 in chapter Uh, 9 of Mark. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit that his disciples could not. Look at verse 30 to 33. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him and when he is killed after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house he asked them what were you discussing on the way? So Jesus' question is met with crickets. Look at verse 34. But they kept silent. Conviction and embarrassment will do that till you won't it? It will close your mouth. Especially when you're arguing about who's numero uno. Because look at the rest of verse 34. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So that's the context. I want us to consider next the cause. What brought on such an argument? What brought on such a debate? Well, we have to think of the context. Three are up on the mountain. They saw the Shekinah glory of Jesus. They saw Moses who had been dead for 1,400 years. They saw Elijah who had been gone 900 years. They heard the voice of God. They're told in no uncertain terms to tell no one until Jesus had risen from the dead. So three on the mountain equals that there's what? Nine down in the valley, right? And so look at what they were dealing with while uh, Peter, John, and James are up on the mountain. Verse 14 to 19. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you, How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So the other nine had been arguing with scribes, gotten ridiculed by the crowd, had failed in the spiritual battle, and now rebuked by Jesus. So, not a good day at the office. Amen? And let me ask you, if you're Peter, John, or James, how are you feeling coming down off the mountain? Not rocket science. Happy. Happy. You know how I would have felt? Cloud nine. You just came out of a cloud. You're on cloud nine, right? Would you potentially be feeling a little superior? Don't put your Sunday church. Oh, no, I wouldn't be doing that, Pastor. Let's be honest. Would you be feeling a little superior? Yes, you sure would. Now, let me ask you, if you were one of the nine, how you would be feeling? frustrated, irritated, irritated, annoyed. Why did they get to go and I didn't get to go? Maybe inferior. Why didn't Jesus pick me? And so the nine then turn to the three and they say, hey, what exactly happened up there? We saw this like brilliant light that looked like lightning. What in the world was going on while y'all were up there? And it's not just crickets. It's well we can't really tell y'all now your blood pressure, you would not want me as the doctor to check your blood pressure because it's probably about 200 over 100, right? because now you really are probably annoyed and so the flesh probably reared its ugly head imagine the conversation, this might be how it went here's Peter, well it's obvious I'm the leader After all, it was me who first confessed Jesus as Messiah. And maybe Andrew said, now you wait a hot minute there, brother. Who introduced who to Jesus? If it weren't for me, old boy, you'd still be out there on that boat catching fish. Maybe John and James said, now y'all hold your fishes, boys, because we were among the first to follow him, and we have been with him longer than any of the rest of y'all. And you know, Judas has probably got to get on the, and on the action, and he probably said, well, what about me, old money bags? And he probably took the bag of money and jingled it, and he said, Jesus trusts me to take care of the money. And on and on. And we say, now, we don't act like that. We always holler at the disciples about how they carry on, and we don't ever really think about how we carry on, Right? You know what I hear people, Christians, say? Well, I know more scripture than such and such. Well, I shared the gospel five times this past week. How many times did you share it? Well, I have perfect attendance pen for my pastor. I'm there every time the door's open. Or you remember when we went to reality check and Tizzy's character, what did she say? Now, I'm the biggest giver in this church. Right? Does this not go on, brothers and sisters? And even pastors get in on the action. Well, I've got more members than y'all got down at that little crossway. And I hear y'all you know, ain't got as many as you used to have. Well, my church is the biggest giving church in the association. We even give out plaques. The Southern Baptist gives out plaques for whoever is the biggest giver. And even speaking from personal experience, it's hard to get on there and see that two people downloaded your sermon over the last month. You'd like it to be about 50. Or we say, well, you know, we're Baptists and we're better than Methodists and Church of Christ think they're better than everybody, right? If you can't laugh at that, come on. I was just kidding. I'll tell you a true life story. Vicky may remember it. Do you know that people at the church that we were at argued over who it was that put the Vacation Bible School flyer on our doorstep? Mm -hmm. Because it was through that Vacation Bible School flyer that we both came to know Jesus and they were arguing about who was the greatest because they were the one that actually left it on there. Mm -hmm. Brothers and sisters, we do this all the time. We argue, we debate over who is the greatest. Alright? And so let me tell you now, next, the Christ. The disciples then and us now have a bad case of comparisonitis. That's what we have. Nowhere in Scripture, and maybe you can correct me, but nowhere in Scripture do I know of are we commanded to compare ourselves to one another. Only to Christ. Paul said, you imitate me, but it's only as I imitate Christ in 1 Corinthians 11. Don't you imitate this old boy. You know, we have so many churches that they will follow a man and they ain't following the man. You don't follow Buffy Cook. You follow Jesus Christ. Buffy Cook's going to mess you up and lead you down into potentially a rut. Jesus Christ is never going to do that if you're truly following Him. And the disciples would have just done that. They would have seen how far from the Spirit of Christ they were. Turn with me to James chapter 1. As you're turning there, I'm going to give you this. Think about it. What had Jesus just spoken of? He said, Hey, guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be crucified. They all knew what crucifixion was like. Any of you want to sign up for a voluntary crucifixion? I don't. He just said, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be crucified. You know what they're doing? Well, I'm the greatest. Well, I introduced you to Jesus. Yeah, well, I have the money. That's the most absurd thing that they're arguing about. Who's the greatest when Jesus is saying, Guys, y'all love me and I'm going to die. So James 1. 22 and following but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing so here's the application here's what we do as christians with this comparisonitis so we look at the person actually we don't even really a lot of times look at the person in the pew beside us we find the worst person in the church or the worst christian that we know and we compare ourselves to them and we put ourselves side by side and we go well man i'm doing pretty good i'm doing really good but when i then As a pastor and as a Christian, because first most, I'm a a Christian, not just a pastor, right? As I then take the Word, the mirror, and I look into it and I go, whoa, Buffy Cook is a hot mess, let me tell you. Hair is out of place. I got a gray hair that's two foot long coming out my ear I didn't know that I got. I must not have brushed my teeth, you know, whatever. When we look at Christ and we see how far we have to go, then we say, I'm not so great. In fact, I got a lot of work that needs to be done. And this wasn't the last time the disciples would argue over it. There were at least three others. Do you know that at the Last Supper they argued about it? And that's potentially what prompted Jesus to wash their feet? I mean, can you imagine? He's literally hours from death and they're still arguing about who is the greatest. Alright, so the cure. This sort of nonsense, this pride of prominence belongs to the world, not to Christ's followers. Amen? The world is who argues over the most powerful, the richest, the most connected, numero uno. You know, who's God for? Is he for Democrats or for Republicans? Well, I think he's for Democrats and I'm a Democrat so I'm better than all my Christian friends I know that are Republicans or vice versa. James 4.4 4 says that he who is a friend with the world is an enemy enmity with God. Right. This sort of attitude is a virus that's infected man since the Garden of Eden. It's a Kool-Aid that threatens to poison us all. I'm going to read quickly for you from 1 Corinthians. You can note these. 1 Corinthians 1, I'll just read verse 10 to 17. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of, one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And so we should seek to be excellent, right? God gave us a desire for excellence. I think it's very interesting that Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples and say, Now don't be great. How dare you want to be great? What he says is don't run around trying to say I am the greatest. Be excellent, yes. But the way that that comes is through humility and service, as we're about to see. One pastor said this. He said, We're not a church filled with masters, we're a church filled with equals. When this life is over and we stand before the Lord, all of our petty, silly striving to be first will be seen to be as childish as it is. And that is true, right? brothers and sisters which leads us to our next point which is a demonstration look at verse 47 and 48 verse 47 but Jesus knowing the reason of their hearts took a child and put him by his side and brothers and sisters we dare not miss if we're nothing more than a point of application verse 47 but Jesus knowing the reason of their hearts that means to mentally see who is Jesus God as God then he does what sees all and knows all first kings eight thirty nine. he knows the heart of men you and i can fake it we can fool others you can potentially fool people in this church in your own household even ourselves but jesus knows your heart he knows if you are truly saved or not and you do too he knows every sin every motive So from a negative standpoint, let me tell you this. There is no such thing as hidden sin. And it will eventually come to light. And it might bite you on the backside. Amen? The positive is this. Nothing separates us from the love of Christ. Amen? That's what Romans 8.38 says. He knows everything perfectly about me and still loves me. That blows my mind and praise God he does alright so let's look at the object lesson so he takes a child and puts him by his side and says to them whoever receives this child in my name receives me, whoever receives me receives him who sent me for he who is least among you all is the one who is great Jesus' object lesson his original PowerPoint is the child the Greek there means an infant or toddler so why a child? Because children were at the bottom rung of the social ladder in Greco-Roman culture. They were the least significant person. Even though they were loved and cherished, they were the smallest and most powerless person in Hebrew culture. They didn't just have a low status, they had no status. The Talmud said that spending time with kids was a waste of time. One rabbi said this, he said, morning sleep, Midday wine, chattering with children, and tearing in places where men of the commonplace assemble, destroy a man. So to just talk with kids would be to destroy a man. And think about it. We see this, turn to Luke 18. We see this fleshed out in the way that the disciples acted. Luke 18:15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them and when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus in their mind was so important that he couldn't not only be bothered with little kids, you couldn't even bring little kids to him. Don't bother Jesus with children. Why? Because they're not great. And in their mind, does this sound familiar? The great associate with the great. Is that not America?
1: No.
0: The great associate with the great. Turn to Matthew 25. As you're turning there, I'm going to tell you some true stories from my own life. Another church had people when we had a fall festival and the horror of it that black children showed up to the fall festival. Oh, Lord have mercy. We can't have that in a white Baptist church. Don't bring them to Jesus. Jimmy talked about last week I've had people even say now you know I had a pastor say, no, we don't want you to go witnessing over to this part of the, the neighborhood. You know why? Because that part of the neighborhood over there is poor, and we don't need fo- poor folks at the church because they can't give as much. Now, y'all think I'm making this stuff up. Or, we would have vacation Bible school, and I'm going to tell you somebody has got a heart for youth and kids is Brother Charles Timberlake. He lived out the life of Jesus. Don't suffer the little children. Let them come. And we would have vacation Bible school. And every Sunday morning, we were going to cancel the regular worship service. And it was going to be the vacation Bible school celebration. And we were going to have the kids. They were going to do the service that morning. But do you know that some people would get up and leave after Sunday school and not stay for that? Well, it ain't gonna be no preaching. It's just gonna be little kids up there singing songs and this and that. I ain't gonna stay for that. Unbelievable. Lost, probably. Need to get saved, don't they? Matthew 25. Look at what Jesus said in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, "Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothed you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, truly, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my adult brothers, right? Isn't that what the, the verse says? No, it does not. It says, to one of these, the least of my brothers, period, you did it to me. You don't prohibit children. You don't prohibit anybody. You associate with the lowest of low because everyone is deserving to hear the Gospel. Mm -hmm. One person said, nobody deserves to hear the Gospel twice until everybody has heard it once. That's how we need to be. Jesus said, oh, y'all think this little kid is the least, he's the greatest, and he is worthy. You associate with the lowest, so second what? Mark says that he took him in his arms. And you know what I think Jesus did? It doesn't say it in the Scriptures, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think He put him in his right arm. Because where's the place of honor? Where is Jesus at right now? He ain't dead, is He? He is alive. We don't serve a dead Savior. We don't serve a dead wooden idol sitting on a shelf. We serve a living God that is in the heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Interceding for us right now. He's praying for me so that I can preach to you, and he's praying for you that you can hear what I say because he's the one saying it to you. I think he put him on his right arm. Luke says that he stood him there, and you know where I think he stood him. On His right side. The place where they all wanted to be. And you remember James and John's mama comes and says, Now Jesus, can I ask one thing of you? Can you have my sons sit at your right hand when the kingdom comes? And now here is this object lesson, better than a PowerPoint. And you've got, I don't know how tall Jesus was. Let's just say His average Jew, five 5'8", something like that. Here is this man, 5'8" that was the most famous man in Galilee, that meant the absolute world to them. And we sang about that earlier, David. Beautiful song. God works this stuff out, doesn't He? Does Jesus mean everything to you? Is He the name? What does that name mean to you? As my wife said, He means everything. He means everything to me. I hope He means everything to you. The man who meant everything to them, five foot eight, is standing there and he's got this little child who's two foot tall that nobody in the whole world even knew this kid and he meant nothing whatsoever to the disciples and he said, you want to be great? Right here. The least one. Be like that. Receive this child. That's how you be great. So look at a foundation. Verse 48. That's what he said. He who is least among you all is the one who is great. True greatness is the one who will receive and associate with the lowly. How do we think about greatness amongst Jesus' disciples today? We mm-hmm. boast of the most prominent relationships. Well, I know the director of missions. Oh really? Well I know the pastor of First Baptist wherever. Oh yeah, well really, one time I had breakfast with the Southern Baptist president. Isn't that how we do? Well, you know what? Um, I know Michael Jordan. Well, I, know, I, I once uh, saw the president. Well guess what? I take care of Justin Timberlake's grandmama and granddaddy. And you know what that means? Squat. I've told him before that if I ever did get to meet Justin, I wouldn't want his autograph. I'm going to go up to him and I'm going to share the gospel. Yeah. I love what Dr. Hughes said. He said this. He said, Some Christians do not know any significant or weak members of society, much less have a relationship with them. Are we reaching out to and serving the poor, the mentally handicapped, Ex-offenders, those struggling to leave their immorality behind. Listen to this. If all or nearly all our friends are the great, the well-off, the educated, the accomplished, the comfortable, we're not the men and women our Master wants us to be. It's not who you know the most. It's who you're willing to associate with. Billy Graham said the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. Can I tell you when I have felt the greatest? When I have felt the greatest is not when I have stood in this pulpit and brought down fire and preached one of the best sermons I have ever preached. It is not when I've had the opportunity to speak to a hundred kids held captive at Big Hatchet Youth Camp. It is not when I've got to take care of Justin Timberlake's grandparents as a doctor. The time that I have felt the greatest is when I have sat in an orphanage in Ecuador and fed a child that couldn't feed itself. I'll never forget Missy Smith, who's one of our dear friends. She posted up a picture one time of me and she said, this to me epitomizes Buffy and it was one of the times I felt the greatest. When I'm sitting at the baby home in Agonga, Uganda, and I've got one child on this knee, and I've got one child on this knee, and I don't care if their runny nose means they've got malaria, dengue fever, the flu, or whatever. All I know is those kids need to know the love of Jesus Christ, and I am showing it to them. That is great. Not standing in the pulpit of First Baptist Church Atlanta or preaching to a million people at once. It's being with the least of these and showing them the love of Christ. But the transgression is this, brothers and sisters. We don't want to do that. We just want to serve people that can do something for us. Think about it. Couldn't Jesus just have told them this truth without putting a child by the side? They could have sold this saying on the back of a t-shirt and sold the t-shirts for $5 like flapjacks, couldn't they? So why did He put a child there? How many of you got kids? What are kids like? From the moment they enter this world, It is you give, and you give, and you give, and you give. And even when they're
1: adults.
0: (laughs) And then here's Cassie. You you see my quotations. Adults. We have adult children, my wife and I. And we're still having to give and give and give and give. And you know what they give us back in return? Nothing. (laughs) Hang on. Well, wait. We get a tax deduction. I'm kidding. We jokingly say that, but they do give us tons of things, do they not? Mm -hmm. As I've jokingly said, as much grief as they call us, children are a heritage from the Lord. But the point being that a kid can't give you anything in return. You just serve it. And so the transgression is when we serve people that are prominent because they can give us something back. You go serve the least of these because they can't ever do anything for you. Alright, last thing. We're going to look at a time in which the disciple of love, John, failed to do this. So the declaration. Look at verse 49 and 45. The first attitude was against those inside the circle. Now we're going to have an attitude towards those outside the circle. John hears the words of Jesus and he has something to declare. It's the only time in the Gospels actually that John alone speaks. And he's probably thinking, Jesus, there's got to be some limits to your teaching. It can't apply to this. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. So what do you think motivated John to declare that? Positively, it could have been conviction over what Jesus had just told him, right? Hey, we did this. It was wrong. Let me tell you about this. It could have been conviction, okay? Negatively, it could have been what? Competition. Competition. Right, And so, hey, we don't know this guy, and so we're going to stop him. And so look at what John says. He says that he was casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. He doesn't give the identity of this man. He just says we saw someone. There's much debate on who this masked man was. Was he a Jewish exorcist, or was he a a believer outside of the Twelve? I think he was probably that, a believer outside the twelve. That's what's most commonly held because that's the evidence that is best for that. One thing that is known is he was successful. It doesn't say he was trying to cast out demons. It says he was casting out demons. And what had the disciples just failed to do? Cast out a demon. So John jumps over that. Hey, we couldn't cast out a demon. This guy can. He was successful. What he does is he says, well, he ain't one of us, so we've got to stop him. Right? So in their mind, he hadn't been called like them, hadn't been commissioned like them, didn't have the privilege of being inside the circle. Forget that he passed the two tests, the test of doctrine and the test of fruit. He says, hey, this guy isn't one of us. And so look at John's assertion. He says, because he does not follow with us. This is the sin of the pride of exclusivity. And it still (coughs) plagues the bride of Christ today. Let me give you three aspects. Number one, denominationally. I mean, we have so much denominational nonsense going on. I'll tell you this joke. There's a man says he was walking across a bridge one day and he saw a man standing on the edge about to jump and he ran over and said, Stop! Don't do it! The man says, Well, why shouldn't I? He said, Well, there's so much to live for. He said, Like what? He said, Well, are you religious? He said, Yes. I said, Well, me too. Are you a Christian or a Muslim? He said, Christian. He said, Me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? He said, Protestant. He said, Protestant. He said me too, are you an Episcopalian or a Baptist? He said, Baptist. He said, Wow, I can't believe it. Me too, are you a Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? And he said, Baptist Church of God. And he says, Well, me too. He said, Are you Baptist Church of God original or reformed? He said, Reformed Baptist Church of God. And he said, Me too, I cannot believe this. Are you Baptist Church of God reformed of 1879 or 1915? And he said, 1915. So he said, Die here, heretic and push him off the bridge. <laughs> And I say that because suicide is not funny, right? But neither is the denominational nonsense that goes on. And this is how we act. I can tell you plenty of stories, but I'll, I'll get to one in a minute. Second ministerial John Claypool, 1979, a Yale lecture on preaching. He said this was his experience in seminary. He said, I can still recall going to state and national conventions in our denomination and coming home feeling drained and unclean because most of the conversation in the hotel rooms and the halls was characterized either by envy of those who were doing well or scarcely concealed delight for those who were doing poorly. For did that not mean that someone was about to fall and thus create an opening higher up on the ladder? It's been my experience a lot of times in association. We don't want to help each other. We'd rather be competitive. I've said many times before, what would happen if the 44 churches in the Baptist Association got together and instead of them all having 44 different vacation Bible schools, they all got together, pulled their manpower, pulled prayer, pulled money, and they said, we're going to have a county-wide vacation Bible school and we're going to do it in these seven locations strategically. I wonder what God would do with that. But we cannot do that because we cannot even get along to cooperate for the Jesus who died for us because we got to compete. And it even goes on congregationally. I talked about it plaguing Corinth. And so look at Jesus' answer. He says, Don't stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. So He gives a prohibition and a principle. Don't stop him. The one that ain't against you is for you. And I can give you some examples of this just quickly. You can write it down. Joshua to Moses, Numbers 11, 26 to 29. You can read that later. Jonathan to David, 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 4. What did Jonathan do? When it was apparent that David was going to be the one that was going to become king, did he go pout and whine and cry, God, why isn't it me? He took off his armor and everything and he gave it to David. Or what about John to Jesus? What did he say? I must decrease and he must increase. increase. Or Paul to his rivals in Philippians 1, 15-18. Are we ever going to learn them, brothers and sisters? We'll go up to somebody and we'll say, Oh, you're a Christian? Well, yeah, but you ain't Baptist. Oh, you're a Baptist? Well, you ain't Southern Baptist. Oh, you're a Southern Baptist? Well, you're not a free will King James Version, only Southern Baptist, and so die a heretic. When I was young in my faith and didn't know better, going to Africa, I sent a contribution letter to a pastor of another denomination, and I'll leave the denomination nameless. But I was blown away by the response I got. If you don't want to contribute, here's what you do. You just take my letter and you crumble it up and you put it in file 13, right? This pastor took the time out of his schedule to write me a response and mail it to me and it said you ought to be able to find plenty of support for your own projects through your own denomination.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I was so young and dumb in my faith at the time I just thought people cooperated. That was my first taste of exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Brothers and sisters you know what we got to start doing? We got to start keeping the main thing the main thing. We got to start saying Here's the most important thing, Jesus died for you and you are a sinner and you're going to go to hell uh, forever eternally separated from God if you don't know Him as Lord and Savior. And let's keep the main things the main things. And let's quit worrying about whether we're Presbyterian or we're Methodist or we're Church of Christ or we're Baptist or we're Southern Baptist. Amen? I mean, eternity is too long and the day's too short for Jesus coming back for us to mess with all this nonsense. Amen. Mm-hmm. So I'm closing. Have you ever heard of dog cat theology?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Y'all know dog cat theology? We got one that does. Here's dog cat theology. Y'all have seen this and experienced it. Any of you got dogs? Yeah. All right. Here's what you do with a dog. You feed it, you love it, you bathe it, you give it some place to sleep, you give it some toy to play with, and you know, you pet it, and you know what the dog does, it looks up at you and it goes, you feed me, love me, take care of me, you must be God. Mm -hmm. Any of you got cats? No. Now here's what a cat does, you feed it, you love it, if you risk your life, you bathe it, right? You give it a toy, you love, you know, take care of it, all this, you pet it on the head and it looks up at you and it goes, I must be God. Mm You see it? Dog cat theology. The disciples then, everything they had, how did they get it? Grace. A massive gift of grace. And you know what they began to do? They began to think and act like cats. They didn't so much say we must be God, but we must be Good. What they didn't understand is that pride stinks to high heaven, amen? It goes before the fall, and the best you and I can do is filthy rags and dung. Disciples today, what do we do? Everything we have is from what? Grace. And you know what we start to do? We don't say, I must be God, but we say, I must be good. Man, I don't act like I used to. I don't cuss no more. You know, I don't hang out with the folks that I used to. And then we start to say, look at me. I know so much of the Bible. I go to church every Sunday. I don't hang out with those sinners. I hang out with these godly people. And you know what we become? A stench. Mm -hmm. One person said this stench has kept multitudes away from the church and more important, a knowledge of Christ. A truly great person consorts with the lowly. Truly great people, I saw this woman right over here. That same orphanage I was talking about. Loving on kids that could never do anything for her in return. That's true greatness. We had a man die this week. Unless you've been living on a rock, you know that Billy Graham passed away, right? No. And people say that he was one of the most humble men ever. You want me to tell you one of the greatest pastors I know? Hardly anybody knows him. His name's Rod Hickman. He don't run around teaching nonsense foolishness of health and wealth prosperity gospel and he's fighting Satan with a congregation of 12. Truly great rejoice in the elevation of others. Any of you even know who Edward Kimball is? He was a Sunday school teacher that was responsible for D.L. Moody coming to Christ. Hmm. Do you think he was worried about everybody knowing his name? And so is that true of you? Is it true of me? Is it true of us? We're truly great according to life and teachings of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your many blessings. Just pray as we come to this time of invitation that you would bless it. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today that needs to make any decision, whatever it may be, Father, be it believers' baptism. Father, be it church membership. Father, be it coming to Jesus to know Him as Lord and Savior. Father, that they can be forgiven of their sins. And Father, have the assurance that one day, even though they die, they will live and Christ will raise them to eternal life. Father, I pray that you would bless this time of invitation now. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. So let me ask you quickly, how many of you want to be great? I didn't say the greatest. How many of you want to be great for the Lord? You know where that starts? You first must be saved. Think about Billy Graham. What has been said of him this week? He was America's pastor he passed through to so many of our presidents. He led so many people to Christ. But I guarantee you, if he was here today, and he was able to speak to you, as we talked about yesterday in our little men's group, you know what I think he would say was the greatest honor that could be bestowed on any man, woman, or child? Salvation. Salvation. To simply be saved. He said this, he said, I ain't going to heaven because I've preached to great crowds and read the Bible many times. I'm going to heaven just like the thief on the cross who said in that last moment, Lord, remember me. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Do you know Christ today? If you want to truly be great and you don't know Christ, the first step is to believe and what Christ did on the cross is sufficient to pay for your sins. That He didn't just stay dead, that He's alive today. And He gives you the assurance that He will come back and take you to eternal life. That means repent of your sins, turn from those, start to live for the Lord, receive Him as Lord and Savior. For today is the day of salvation as we stand and sing. Come and listen to the Lord this morning. Age 318.
1: You failed in your plan of your storm-tossed life. Place your hands in the
0: nail scar. Are you weary and worn from its toil and its
1: strife? Place your hand in the nail scar. Place your hand in the nail scar. Place your hand in the nail-scarred hand. He will keep to the end, he's your dearest friend. Place your hand in the nail-scarred hand.